You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. Super. Hey, that was really good. Welcome to Kingsway. We're really glad you're here with us today. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're in a series walking through the gospel book of Luke, and we're in chapter eight. And so anyway, there may be some things that you've missed along the way. I'll try to bring you up to speed. For those of you who don't know me, maybe you're newer to Kingsway. Uh, I came here 14 years ago, and before that, I spent 10 years in Colorado with my lovely wife. We didn't have kids yet. I actually think it was the year that we came out here to be interviewed for the job. There are two major ways to get to Colorado from the Midwest, and one is what I call the southern route and one is the northern route. And both of them do with lots of nothingness for mile after mile after mile. And so one year we were driving back and uh, we took the northern route. It was the only time we did it. And we decided to go out to Mount Rushmore. And so what you did is you went up through Minnesota and through South Dakota. And if you've ever done it before, then you know every 25 miles or whatever, you see signs for the world famous wall drug. Anybody ever been to the world famous wall drug? Yeah, like 10 of you. You'll know. You go. Because there's nothing else to read for a mile after mile. So we went up there, and my sister is obsessed with the weather app at the time. And uh, she's messaging us and saying, hey, it looks like there's a big storm headed your way. Well, when you're driving on a road, and it's just as flat for hundreds of miles, you can see really far ahead. And the one thing you can see is clouds. And I remember us seeing like this big kind of storm that was coming. Well, it got dark because it was nighttime, but we're still driving. We're trying to make it to a specific spot where we could stop and spend the night. And uh, I just remember uh, it started sprinkling, and then it started raining, and then it started raining heavy. You know, you're going through each of the speeds of your windshield wipers, you know what I mean? And get faster, 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 faster. And then next thing you know, like, we're on the highway, and the cars in front of us are stopped. So you're going, like, miles an hour, and then you're doing, like, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. Next thing you know, we're, like, stopped on the highway. Because there's semis of cars in front of us, as far as the eye could see, in front of us, behind us. I tried to pass a car, you know, try to pass the semi in front of me. I get out and around, there's nowhere to go. And you're stuck, and it is heavy, heavy pouring. And that heavy pouring then turned in, turns into hail. And then the hail is just pounding down around you, and you're sitting there, and you're trying to leave. I remember trying to leave distance between us and the semis in front of us. And you're leaving 20 feet, and you can't even see the car in front of you between the rain and the hail. It's so thick. And it's thundering, and the thunder is so intense, it shakes your chest. You know what I'm talking about? And then the sky around us flashed neon green. Now, if you don't know what that means, some of you are like, ooh, show us a video. Well, we didn't have those kinds of phones back then. I know, I know, I know. What that means is you are literally in the midst of a storm, like a a tornado most likely. My sister, who she's trying to talk to us and we're literally yelling on the phone. She can't hear us. It is so loud. It's so intense. And uh, she said, where are you? So we told her the mile marker in the road we're on. And she went online and took like a screenshot image of right around there. And she sent it to us. And there were, I think it was four or five. I can't remember tornadoes. There was like one to, you know, this side. Like if we're here on the road, there was one here, 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 here. And like slightly farther away, like 10 or 15 miles away here. And they all touched down. And we were in the middle of it. And it was awesome. But it was, but it was terrifying. There was nowhere to go. There was literally nowhere to go. Years ago, there was a movie that came out. It was like in the 90s, maybe early 2000s. I can't remember now. It was called Twister. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah, you got to be over 40, right? So uh, that's why five of you went, woo. The rest went, what was it called again? We should look that up later, honey. 
And uh, there's this scene where they're in a storm and a tornado goes by and like this cow goes by the windshield and he goes, look, another cow. And the guy goes, no, I think that's the same one. I was waiting for my cow moment. I was waiting. I was like, this is it. We're going to get sucked out of the car. Is it going to be the end of it? It's going to be a great way to go or a great story to tell. But I would tell you, it was terrifying. It really was. It was terrifying. In some ways, I had peace in the storm because I knew that Jesus was with me. And it was like, also because I'm like, there's nothing I could do. If this is it, this is it. So God protect us, help us. And in case you weren't sure how it worked out, I'm here. So um, we made it. Nothing. We never saw a tornado that night. Lots of other people did. There were other people who experienced tragedy and death by God's grace. I wasn't one of them, but it brings up the reality that a storm is going to hit all of us. And it's really just a matter of time. And it won't, it's not easy to explain. Like, why, why did we get spared and others didn't that night? I don't know. But I do know this. If you live life long enough, long enough, you're going to eventually hit a storm. And you're going to need what I'm going to offer you today in the midst of that storm. So if you've not been with us, I need to lay some groundwork down to help you understand where we've been. And at the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of this story... Jesus gathers everybody together. They're on the hillside. So if you were to pull up Google Earth and look down, you'd see the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the second lowest lake. It's really like a lake. We call it a sea, but it's really a huge lake um, in, in, the, in the world. It's the lowest freshwater body of water in the world. And it sits below sea level. And so there's these beautiful rolling hills all around it. And there's one huge mountain called Mount Hermon nearby. And that affects and sends crazy weather suddenly up onto the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus has people sitting on the hillside. He gets into a boat and he's sitting there teaching all of them. And he starts to tell a story about a farmer who scatters seed. Here's some of what he says in Luke chapter 8, verse 8. He says this, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The reason I want to point this out is because everything that happens in the rest of the chapter is we see people going through storms in life and literal storms, but this peace, this calling of wisdom of Jesus, it's still applicable because when you're in a storm, it's hard to hear, right? But it's important how you hear, whether you're in a storm or you're not in a storm. So Jesus says, look, if you have the ears to hear, then pay attention to what I'm saying. In fact, he actually goes further than that. Later, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, he says this, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. And you go, see, this is why Jesus is so confusing me. This is why I gave up on Jesus. But I want you to push through for a second. Does this mean that Jesus wants everybody to be rich? That's not what he's talking about. Read all of the verses leading up to this and all the verses coming out of this. Jesus is simply talking about this. Whoever has me will be given more me. Whoever does not have me, even what they think they have will be taken from them. He is speaking to Jewish people who are being led astray by the religious teachers of his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and others. These religious elite believe they have the truth. See, we live in a world today that talks a lot about spirituality. The internet, um, especially TikTok and Facebook and YouTube, they are filled with spiritual experts and advisors. They would love to direct your life and they would love to just lead you right into the pits of hell. And part of what Jesus is trying to say is be careful how you listen because those who have me will get more of me. But those who think they have the truth, even what they have will be taken from them because they don't really have the truth. They're gonna keep looking for something and never find it because they aren't looking for me. That's important. 
Now let's go back to what Jesus said before in Luke 8, 8, because there's something else he said there I want to point out as we build into today, because he said, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And the reason I say that is whatever Jesus does in you, he's doing it for a reason. Jesus actually believes that my transformed life will produce more transformed life. So the reason that Jesus is changing you is not just you can go, yes, I want to be rich and and healthy and wise. No, Jesus is changing you so that you can take what he's given to you and give it away to others. That the change and the life change is brought about in you will actually bring life change in others. That's the point of the analogy of the seed. We, my family, we just went to the, I think it was the Anderson Farms, and went looking for pumpkins and picked some apples that day. And because we were there at the, le- the end of the year, most of the apples were gone. And there's apples all over the ground. Now, what happens if an apple gets stomped into the ground? It has a chance at birthing a new apple tree. That's the picture. So an apple tree gets birthed and it produces all these apples. You take that apple, you bury it in the ground, something happens, a squirrel eats part of it, some of that seed gets in the ground, whatever it is, next thing you know, you got a new apple tree. That's what Jesus wants to do in you. He wants the fruit of his word to transform you so that you produce fruit in others who eat it. And when they do, it'll produce more and produce more and produce more and produce more. There's a reason you're standing here today 2,000 years later. Because somebody's life was changed who changed somebody's life, who changed somebody's life, who's changed somebody's life, who's changed somebody's life and brought you to this place today. And maybe, maybe you're at the place of producing fruit that's bearing new trees, that's bearing new fruit, or maybe you're at the place that you're just picking up that fruit for the first time going, I don't even know what this thing is, but I see something in you and I want it. So what happens next is Jesus is already in the boat. Everybody's on the hillside. He looks at the disciples. He's like, come on, let's get in the boat. We got somewhere to go. So the disciples climb in the boat and they run into this big storm on the boat. Big deal. And it rocks their world for a second because Jesus stands up and he quiets the storm. He's like, storm, shut up. And the storm shuts up. And they're like, who is this that speaks to the storm and it shuts up? And I get it. Your, main, your natural tendency might be, I don't know if I believe all that stuff. I get it. You're going to find plenty of stuff today you don't know if you believe it. I get it. I get it. I'll only say that the testimony of the people who experienced it, they wrote it down, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and others. And uh, they wrote down what they saw, what they experienced, or what they heard from people who were there that day. And you can choose not to believe them, just like you could choose not to believe any story you're told. But the question is, what do you do with these fishermen, guys like Peter, who were afraid to be killed and were running and hiding for their lives? And when Jesus raises from the dead, they're suddenly emboldened and not afraid to tell their story. Something happened to them that made them not afraid to die to tell others what they experienced. Like, it would have been easier for Peter to just go, yeah, they killed Jesus, end of story. Sorry, guys, we were wrong. It's actually easier than going and getting crucified upside down, which is how Peter died. Something happened. You could wrestle with that one later. So, Luke chapter 8, verse 26, they hop into the boat. It says, they sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. If you look down on the Sea of Galilee, there are a lot of regions, and back at Jesus' day, most of the areas around the Sea of Galilee were Jewish. But this particular area, the Gerasenes, sometimes called the Gadarenes, they were different. They were not Jews, they were Gentiles. Jesus is intentionally going to the other side of the lake for what he's going to run into there. Now, again, on the outside of the lake are all these big, rolling, beautiful hills. You can easily see we'll call it a sea, whatever. You can see to the other side easily. It's not hard to see. Depending on where you are, it's a six to 12 miles apart, depending on where, it's not hard to see to the other side. When I was there, I'm like, yeah, I could totally see the other side from here. But Jesus says, we're going over there. And he's going to go to the Gentiles. And he rarely ever does this in his ministry, but there's a reason he does. 
what you're going to find when you go over there is there are some pig farmers. Now, part of the reason we know we're in Gentile territory is because you would never find a pig farmer in Jerusalem. It's not kosher. They can't eat it. It's an unclean animal, according to the Old Testament. That's why there would be no pork on the pizza, which I say amen to. Some of you think I'm crazy. Give me pineapple over pork any day. Anybody else with me? I kind of had a feeling like, you know, pastor, we were with you. Nah, forget it. All right. So Jesus goes the other side of the lake where they have pork pizza. And it says this. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. What? Let's keep going. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And if you ever thought the Bible was boring, I don't know what you were reading. Like, we got a naked demon-possessed man, and you think this book is boring? Like, come on now. Living among the tombs. This is perfect following Halloween. So, something happened to this man. We aren't told how he got into the condition that he's in. We're only told he's there. But it brings up a lot of great questions. What do we do with demons today? This would be a good moment if parents, if you brought your child into the service and you don't want them to hear anything else, I, I would totally understand if you got up and made your way out to the coffee, um, give that to them at your own peril. But um, I get it. I get it. Okay, so... The word in Greek for demon-possessed, it doesn't actually say demon-possessed. That's our translation. And because of Hollywood, we think we know what it means. It really just says the man was demonized. He was filled with demons. But demonization, um, you need to think of it more like a continuum. I find it helpful to talk about two sides of this um, demonization, if you will, Side one would be the extreme, extreme far side. It's when somebody is demon-possessed. And demon possession is where an evil spirit takes, up, takes over the thoughts and actions and decision-making of a human. It happens, but it's extremely rare. You need to know that. It's extremely rare. Hollywood wants to make it sound like it happens all the time everywhere. Guys, I'm not an expert in this. I know people I've talked to, some of my friends who are missionaries in other countries and the things they've experienced, the things they've dealt with, My wife went on a mission trip to Haiti and people were up all night pronouncing curses over them. And the the person who was there with them, their guide, um, you know, they were college students, a little scared, or high school students, I can't remember, and they were a little scared and said, hey, you know, are we safe? He's like, you guys are all fine. You've all got Jesus, right? Because the reality is Jesus, the name of Jesus is a strong tower. Jesus will not fail you. The name of Jesus is strong enough to conquer anyone and anything. Jesus, the name of Jesus, we see this in the book of Acts. There are some sons. They're called the sons of Sceva. And uh, they were taking the name of Jesus, and they were casting demons out of people. And the demons were listening to him, except for one day they got confronted by a demon who was particularly powerful and not afraid. And he said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I've heard of. uh, But you guys, I don't have a clue who you are. And this guy beats the tar out of seven of them, seven of them. I'm pretty sure if you give me, me and six of my average adult male brothers, we could, we could probably hold our own against most people. But uh, this guy beat the tar out of seven of them because he had a power that belonged elsewhere. That's in the scriptures in the book of Acts. Now, I say that because demon possession does happen, but it's really, really, really rare. But what's not really, really rare, and that is demon oppression. And demon oppression is where a person, even a Christian, is tormented or tempted by an evil spirit. And it happens far too often. Now, I don't always know, was this, is this just drugs or is this just alcohol? 
I find it interesting. The Greek word for witchcraft is the word pharmakia. Does that sound like any word in our language? Do not hear me saying avoid pharmacies because they're from the devil. It's not what I'm saying. But what was happening in their day is in order to take part in the occult, you took mind-altering drugs to induce you into a state that took you out of your mind and opened you up to other things. And so pharmakia is the word for witchcraft or the occult. Now, what we do is we take medicines that really help a lot of people, depending on the medicine. There are plenty of other medicines that are just mind-altering, right? There's also illicit drugs that are not legally, you know, mandated or washed or controlled. And I don't, I'm not even here to try to flesh all of that out to you. I just say that I think it's very complex. We live in a complex world. So what's happened to Christians over the last decade or two or three or maybe more, I don't know, I've been around long enough, is that uh, every time something happens that we don't know how to explain, we just go, well, it must be a demon, which would not be biblical at all. The Bible says that, well, it says this really, James chapter four, verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires of battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. This is a whole sermon for another enemy. Like, this is a whole sermon. But just to be really clear, what James is trying to say is the reason you're having issues in your life is not because you're demonically oppressed. It's because you have sin problems. You desire things you can't have it. So you're willing to go, it's not like the early church is literally shooting each other. They're killing each other by the way they attack each other with words or being cold or withholding love or kindness or mercy to each other. I mean, you are destroying each other with the words you use and the things you say. You are doing this to each other. And the only reason you don't have is because you weren't even asking God. God desires to take care of you. God desires to bless you. He goes on and he says, and you, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you got wrong motives. God can't even give you what you're asking for because every good parent knows his principle. After Halloween this week, when your kids ate their 15th piece of candy and they chocolate running down their face and teeth rotting out of their head and they went, can I have one more? Every good parent went, no, we have to draw the line somewhere. Even God knows that. Now some of you are like, oh, 15, that's the magic number? Okay, good to know. Right? Everybody knows that. Well, God knows that more. God knows if you ask for something and it's actually detrimental to you, why would I give that to you? It's just going to hurt you. It's going to destroy you. So he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you've got the wrong motives because your motives are all whacked out. Now, is there anything demonic in that? No, it's just you. You've got wrong desires. But that same James goes on in verse 7. He says, so submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Don't you find that interesting? It's only six verses later, the same one who said the problem is in you and he says, so resist Satan. Because that's where these two things come together. Somehow, things that have happened to you create these wounds in you. They create desires and longings and behaviors in you. And you put it all in a blender and you mix it up. So that sometimes you want what you shouldn't want. You desire what you shouldn't have. You chase what you don't need. And sometimes it's coming from a lack or from a wound or from a traumatic moment or something in life. It's not good. But Satan has been studying you from the moment you were born. He knows every weakness and temptation of your flesh. He is looking for that thing to exploit and to chase down and go, that, there it is. And he's just going to poke at it. Years ago, I was listening to a sermon by a 
John Eldred, he was, I might have been a book, I can't remember, but he was talking about, I've used this before, but he's driving down the road with his wife. He's got his kids in the backseat. He's thinking, I'm the luckiest man alive. 10 miles down the road, his wife says something about something and it goes to that place, that thing they fight about a lot. And next thing you know, he said, I'm literally thinking about divorcing this woman. In my mind, I'm like, she's never gonna, she's never gonna go away. She's always gonna be this way. And it dawned on him, how is it 10 miles ago, I was the happiest, luckiest man alive? You ever had that happen? So that same day that my family went to the pumpkin patch, my wife and I had a little spat, and the spat was all around this miscommunication between us. But what happened was my pride got in the way, then her pride got in the way, and I'm convinced that Satan was in there going, you guys, I know exactly how to make you fight. At the end of the day, we finally talked it out, we swallowed our pride, we worked through it, but it's like, how foolish, like, why do I still let him do this after all these years? I let him go in there and just know exactly where to poke and exactly where to prod. And last service, I said, do you know what that feels like? Like, all these married people come into me out of the hallway, like, yes, I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> now, you described my spouse to a T, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm not an expert. I don't have all the answers. But I think C.S. Lewis was onto something. He said in the screw tape letters, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Satan hates you. John 10, 10 and 10, 11, Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy. But I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. Then he goes on, he says, I'm a good shepherd and I laid down my life for my sheep. Jesus loves you. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to provide for you. He's trying to come alongside you and resource you. He wants to bless you. So trust him. Trust him. Luke 8, 28. When he, the, the demonized man, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Huh? But this is awkward. Jesus is with the disciples. Remember, you got the pig herders up on the hill, they're watching. They're probably like, <laughs> right? Like, we know what's coming. Now, what's happening in the moment gets clarified in the next verse, verse 29. For Jesus had, come, had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot, kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. See, what we find out in this story is when Jesus meets the man, he has a conversation with him, and he says, what is your name? And the demons, we find out it's not one demon, it's demons, respond to Jesus and say, our name is Legion, for we are many. So this is interesting because um, the name Legion in Rome, like it's, it's actually a Roman term to describe their army structure. And a legion would be 6,000 soldiers. We don't know if there's a correlation. What we do know is that he's got a lot of demons. What we do know is this conversation unfolds between this demonized man and Jesus and the demons that are inside him. And Jesus commands them to only answer when they're talking to him. They're only allowed to say the things he tells them to say. 
And they begin to beg Jesus to cast us out. Don't throw us into the abyss. This is critical for you to understand. See, these demons, whatever exactly a demon is or whatever exactly it looks like, they know their future. They know it. They know it. They are begging Jesus, don't send us to our final destination. Whatever demons are active and present in this world, they are trying to take as many people with them as they can into that place. And they are desperately trying to prolong the return of Jesus. That's what they want because the moment he comes, they already know where they're going. And so they beg Jesus, don't cast us into the abyss. Instead, let us go into those pigs over there. We know from Mark's telling a story, there were 2,000 pigs over there. And Jesus gives them the blessing. But before we get to that, what I want you to see is, remember Jesus was on a boat, invited the disciples into the boat, took them through a storm that they thought would kill them, and then led them to the other side just to meet this man. Is there anybody in your life that you think to yourself, God, please don't call me to be friends with that person. If you don't have anybody like that, I got bad news for you. You might be that person. (laughs) But seriously, Jesus crossed this lake with the intention of freeing this man because Jesus relentlessly pursues those who need him most. He always does. So look, I don't know where you are and I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how where life has you. I don't know what storm you're facing. I don't know if you feel like you're oppressed or under spiritual attack. It might be. I just know that Jesus is pursuing you. Jesus gives them permission to go into the pigs and these demons go into the pigs. There's 2,000 pigs there, and uh, they literally run down the hill and into the lake. And it says in Luke 8, 34, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And I find it fascinating. The first people to testify to the work of God in non-Jewish territory here are people who saw Jesus do something awesome. And I wonder, like, they just run and start telling everybody, we saw this guy do this thing with this man. Holy cow. But see, I wonder, like, think about it. Like, you've had so many chances to share and testify to your faith, but how many times are Christians just afraid to say anything? We're so afraid we're going to get labeled as religious freaks or bigots or racists or genderous, or small-minded, or judgmental, or not loving. We're so afraid to just testify to what we've seen and heard. We don't have to be an expert in anything just to say, look, I don't know. I don't know, but I know Jesus changed me. I know, I, yeah, you can clap for that. I used to be this, now I'm this. Yeah, my, my, my spouse used to be this, now they're this. My kids used to do this, now they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I just know Jesus changed me. There's a lot of questions I have about this story. A lot of questions I have. Like, what happens if a demon fills a pig and the pig drowns itself in the lake? Is the demon free to go where it wants? Does it enter the fish and the next person to eat the fish gets a demon? Like, I don't know. I got more thoughts if you ever want to sit around and hear my weird ideas. Like, I don't know. Jesus doesn't seem overly interested in telling us. Because again, if you obsess about the devils, you got your focus in the wrong place. Focus on Jesus. 
In fact, do better than that. Focus on Jesus and be bold while sharing your story. Start testifying to the goodness of God active in your life. I want you to see this for a minute. So verse 35. And the people went out to see what had happened, right? Oh, we heard something cool. So they come look. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, stop and ask yourself this question. How does a naked man get dressed? Did he have a backpack full of clothes? No, no, no. Here's what I think happened. I can't prove it to you, but I think this is a good guess. So it was common in Jewish culture to have like an undergarment that was appropriate. We're not talking like underwear. We're talking like, but then over that to have like a cloak or a tunic over top of that. I think Jesus took off his outer tunic and handed it to the man. Which would have made Jesus inappropriate in Jewish, Jewish culture. Not because he was in any way in the skimpy outfit, but the tunic was just part of what you did. I think Jesus literally took the shirt off his back and gave it to the man so he could cover himself. And people came out and see this guy in his right mind. And then it says, verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And they're just testifying, like, you know the guy out there that you were afraid of, that guy out there that nobody wanted to talk to, the guy out there in the tombs, you know, the weird guy who like made it hard for everybody to get to, this, to the Sea of Galilee? Yeah, because I saw him, he was seen. Now here's the thing, that guy has a name. I don't know guy's name. If it does injustice to call him Guy, but I don't, like, what, what is his name? Is it Matt? Is it John? Is it Billy Bob? Like, I don't know. But imagine some people in that town, they know him. You know why? Dude, that's my sister's cousin's neighbor's son. You know what it's like to live in a small town, don't you? It's a small town. Everybody knows Billy Bob. Look at verse 37. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasene asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. Don't be surprised as you go out and you testify to the goodness of God. Don't be surprised if you meet people who are just so, no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to do anything with it. When somebody does not want to hear about you sharing the story of Jesus, it's okay to receive that. Jesus is like, okay, fine. Notice he didn't say, okay, fine, all of you go to hell. I'm out of here. No, 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 no. It's not what he did. He accepted it. And he got out of the boat and he left. But before that, look at verse 38, 39. It says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So Jesus said, they can't handle me right now because they're afraid. I get it. So I'm going to build a bridge. You're my bridge. Don't come with me and become one of my 12 disciples. You've had six hours of theology and doctrine training. That's enough. Go tell everybody else. If you read Mark's version, Mark, the gospel book of Mark, Mark chapter five, you can read this for yourself. It doesn't just say he went back to his own town. It says he went all around the Decapolis. The Decapolis is the name for 10 towns. Deca means 10. He went around to the 10 towns in the area called the Decapolis, and this is crazy powerful because later on in the story, Jesus comes back to the exact same region, and there are thousands upon thousands of people listening to him that day. In fact, he miraculously feeds at least 4,000 people. Usually, they're counting men only, so it could be eight or 10 or 12,000 people. Who knows how many actually there that day, but thousands of people show up, and Jesus feeds them miraculously. So now, how did those thousands of people in Gentile territory find out about Jesus? 
You know how? One person's changed life. Go read about it. Mark chapter five, if you want. You can read about more throughout the gospels. One person went to all these towns. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is the guy living by himself in the tombs because here's the thing. One of the ways you'll know you're being messed with by Satan is he always wants to tell you to isolate. Get alone, get alone, get alone. Don't tell anybody, don't share it with anybody. If everybody knew what you were dealing with, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. So don't tell, don't share, don't bring it into the light. Keep it hidden in the darkness. Because Satan loves the darkness. Because if he can get you alone, he can own you. You ever heard of Rat Park? Rat Park is a fascinating little experiment. Go Google it sometime. What scientists did is they built a little fun park for rats. And they just put one rat in. And they gave him two options. They gave him water or they gave him water filled with cocaine. What they found is these rats would drink the cocaine water because it made them high, made them feel good to the point where they died. Then they took rats, they put them in Rat Park, and they put other rats in Rat Park so they weren't alone, offered the same water options. And almost every single time, the rats in Rat Park, when they had a social community to connect with, they didn't even choose the cocaine water at all. Now, they extrapolated that into addiction and said, you know, one of the major ways we fight sin in our lives, we fight addictive patterns, is we don't isolate we socialize because God built us to be social creatures. But I want you to think to the weakest, hardest moments of your life, do you reach out for help? Or do you try to go it alone? Most of us try to go it alone because we're so traumatized by this world and we're so afraid of what others will think and they might even try to make us stop and we don't want to and so we just keep going and it's a lie from your enemy. All right, so to illustrate this point, I've uh, got a friend of mine today, and I'm going to bring him out. His name is Luke Brewer, and while Luke is on his way out here getting set up, uh, Luke is a high schooler at Plainfield High School, um, and the last few years have been really hard for Luke. I do not, just to be very, very clear, I do not believe for one second that Luke Brewer was demon-possessed. That is not why I'm bringing Luke up here. But what I do believe is that Satan found a way, and he'll tell you how, to get to Luke to really make life hard and painful and dark and isolating for Luke. And I want him to tell you the rest of the story, and then I'll come up and share some more at the end. So would you guys do me a favor? Just give Luke a really warm Kingsway welcome. You can imagine how nerve-wracking this is. You all are scary. Um, Luke killed it last service. He really did. So Luke, would you just tell everybody here why I asked you to come up here today? Yeah, thank you. I want to thank Matt for giving me the opportunity to come and just share my testimony with you guys today. Um, uh, we were able to talk uh, earlier this week, and I was able to share with him just kind of what happened. And he mentioned uh, the struggles that I went through the last uh, past couple years here. And so it all kind of started during the COVID times. Um, quarantine hit, and before quarantine, in my middle school years, I had been kind of teased or picked on for being the the bigger or the slower, chubbier kid. I still had that baby fat on me from being, hadn't hit puberty yet, um, so I was uh, just your normal uh, teen, uh, teenage middle schooler. Okay, but can we look at this for a second, because Luke and I talked about this. Do you guys, put that picture back up there. Do you see, do you see a chubby kid? And by the way, let me be very clear. And if you did, would it matter? Luke's value doesn't come from that, right? But this is important how Satan finds a way. 
Yeah, so the, some comments were made, and uh, they just kind of stuck with me. And um, as I mentioned, quarantine, I had a lot of free time, and I was really into basketball, so I decided I was going to get in shape for basketball. I was going to um, cha- change the way I looked, but also just get stronger and be a better athlete. Um, I was spending two, three hours a day working out, um, spent all my time just putting in as much work as I could to be a better basketball player, but to also kind of had this image in my mind of what I wanted to look like so I could kind of fit in with those people at school. And uh, the, those comments just continued to just roll through my head as I was doing all these workouts. And um, as quarantine kind of subsided and we get into the basketball season, um, I'm back to being, uh, I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm fit, but I also have this image in my head of what I want to look like and who I want to be. Um, I, basketball season is just around the corner and tryouts come. Um, first night of tryouts, I told Matt this, the first night of tryouts, I probably played some of the best basketball I'd ever played. I was just stronger and faster. Um, but after I left that tryout, uh, I started feeling kind of sick, not, didn't feel right. Um, and that, that night, I, my symptoms got progressively worse, started showing COVID symptoms, and being in the times we were in, my parents were like, well, we're going to get you tested. Um, come to find out, a couple days later, I test positive for COVID, and just like that, my season was pretty, pretty much cut short. I was uh, immediately quarantined, um, got the basketball team quarantined, got a lot of friends quarantined, um, took some heat for that. Um, took our team out of our first couple games and it just it mentally just destroyed me um I I was so excited for that upcoming season and just it being taken away like that was uh, heartbreaking um I fast forward that next 15 to 17 days I spent on bed rest um I couldn't even walk down the driveway and back without having to just lay down, take a nap. Um, I, I'd had no energy and I lost a majority of that strength I had just put on from um, working hard throughout the summer and into the start of season. And because I was one of the first athletes at Plainfield to be hit with COVID like that, there were a lot of precautions that the school and health centers took to get me back before they would just release me to play again. Um, so my season got postponed about another month, um, couldn't play, I had to spend more time at home, um, and pretty soon I was, I was pretty devastated and just kind of gave up on basketball. Hmm. I, I still finished out the season, uh, but I was never the same athlete I was like at the beginning of the season. Like I mentioned, I lost a lot of that strength. Um, and. I, had, I still had that image in my head of what I wanted to look like. Um, so after being at home that whole time and watching myself lose pound after pound from not doing anything, something kind of clicked and I just decided I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in, all in on changing how I look. For, forget the basketball part of it, but I'm going to be this, I'm going to look different. I'm going to look better. Um, so I, I finished that season and moving into soft, uh, summer between my freshman and sophomore year, um, I spent all my time just working out and just trying to be that, have that body, have that image of what I was seeing on social media and what I thought was like 
the perfect type of body that would just have everybody wanting to be my friend, let me be accepted. Um, so, and having had COVID the way I did, I was able to recover physically, but my mental health never returned to what it should have been. It, it was permanently damaged, and I just had this false image of who I wanted to be and what I thought would be uh, this perfect, perfect uh, body type. Can I jump in for a second? So help, help paint the picture. You're how tall today? I'm 6'5". Yeah, me too. So um, <laughs> I joked about maybe getting some books for me to sit on while I was up here interviewing Luke. Okay, so uh, you weighed how much, say, right before that basketball where you were really working out hard and getting in shape? Yeah, I was about 160. Okay. At your, at your peak, was that about in the one, where, yeah, 160s? Yeah. Okay. yeah, 160s. So you started, after COVID, you lost a bunch of muscle. That's normal, right? But then you started trying to get a certain body type. How many calories a day were you eating in your worst part? Between 800 and 1,000. So I don't know if you know, the average American diet, they say if you want to be healthy, if you're not exercising and you're an adult, you should probably be around 1,500 to 2,000, depending on your size. He's working out on a regular basis. So you were working out sometimes how many hours a day? Three to four. Three to four hours a day, consuming 800 to 1,000 calories. And so you're looking in the mirror, and you're slowly losing weight and wasting away, but you're looking in the mirror, and what's going through your mind? I just was one pound at a time, just thought I'd be uh, better looking. I thought I, that, that next pound would get me to where I wanted to be. And what did you get to at your lowest? I was 125, 127. Yeah, let that sink in. So, again, being honest, uh, in in seventh or eighth grade, I was about 5'7". I grew a half an inch since then. Uh, That's another story for another day. But around eighth grade, I weighed 120 pounds at 5'7", 5'8". And I was a pretty skinny kid. Holy cow. So, where did this take you, Luke? Yeah, so not fueling my body properly just continued to affect my mental health. Um, So moving into sophomore year, I was struggling to sleep. I was struggling to eat. I was struggling to just function on a normal basis. Um, Being at school and being around big groups of people was extremely hard for me. Um, I would have panic attacks just going to school on a day-to-day basis and so finally, we decided, my parents realized, like, something's seriously wrong here. We got to get in a doctor. And I was very quickly diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and anorexia. Um, at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't, it didn't really have any effect on me. Um, I just kind of brushed it off. Um, and I kind of thought they were wrong. I was like, I'm healthy. I thought I was, had, I thought I was just getting to a healthier state. Um, and so through a couple of weeks past, my parents decided it's time to get you into a counselor. And it was when my counselor looked at me and she said, you got about a month. And I was like, a month? What are you talking about? And she said, you, you got about a month to keep living the way you're living and you're not going to make it. Um, and not going to make it means? I was going to die. It was, um, I had withered away so much that I just my body couldn't take it anymore. It'd been about a year, year and a half of just, I mean, torture to my body. It was just withering away pound after pound. And her, when she said that, it kind of clicked in my head like, okay, something has to change. And my counselor, having gone through eating disorder herself, she was able to kind of rationalize with me, click with me. And she gave me her story that ultimately 
led to the change of heart and change of mind and, and me that got me on the, better, the right track. Um, I had my, two, my parents right by my side the whole way supporting me, and that, that next six to eight months was a grind. Um, we spent the next six to eight months just step by step changing my habits, changing my lifestyle, um, I was taken out of school, but so I spent my time at home doing online school and just working on trying to get my body back into a better a better state. Um, it it was it was a grind, and it was a lot of tears were shed, a lot of uh, prayers were prayed, and thankfully by the grace of God and just the support I had around me, I was able to make a full recovery. Um, Amen. Yeah. So can I jump in real quick, Luke? Luke, a couple things. Um, you, you shared, it was the testimony of your, your counselor that really, part of it, really shook you awake, realizing that she had gone through it and she was sharing her story with you, right? Yeah, it was, it was her testimony that just was, because she had been through something so similar to myself, it allowed me to connect with her and allowed her to just kind of reach a place in my head that I didn't. I didn't know she could get to and just kind of flip the switch um, and change my mindset. And meanwhile, there's a lot of us here at Kingsway and other places. Your, your family is amazing. And we've just been praying with you, for you, just asking God to, to help shine a light. Did you ever feel like you were just under a weight, that it was just dark, it was just heavy? Yeah, I mean, there were countless nights of just, I felt alone. Uh, like you mentioned in your sermon, I just wanted to isolate um, and be by myself. And it, it felt pretty hopeless. Um, but they, through prayer, just uh, my parents constantly encouraging me to still stay faithful, stay um, just in, in the word. And I, I was able to kind of find that, that faith again. And now I have a testimony to share. And? What happened a week or two ago? And a week or two ago, I was able to actually go to Mooresville High School with my dad. He was given a presentation, and I was able to share my testimony with a group of freshman students from Mooresville and just kind of shed light in a dark place of a public school and kind of be a, a light there and just give them some hope as well. Amen, 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 amen. That's so super cool, huh? So the, the demon-possessed man, after Jesus frees him, he goes and he, he witnesses to the Decapolis to 10 cities. So I joked last service, so now you got Avon and Mooresville down, <laughs> Plainfield, Danville, Brownsburg. We're going to have to come up with five more, but that's your challenge for the next year, all right? One step at a time. One, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, would you guys give Luke a nice warm? Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> What a great young man. So listen, everybody's story is going to be different. The way you might be pressured might be different. I love that our high schoolers come into this service a lot of times. I hope you guys go and testify. So I just want to connect some dots to things I said to Luke's story. One, Satan knew exactly how to get to Luke. He started planting seeds when he was like in seventh and eighth grade about his value and his worth and how good he was. You know, he had in mind a certain, certain group of people and a certain image that he had to get to. And if he could just get to that, then he'd be happy. Then he'd be satisfied. And the harder he tried, the less he succeeded to get it. And the deeper and more depressed he got. He got anxious, begging his parents not to make him go to school. And I don't know if you know what that feels like in your own way. I'm sure you have your own version. It's your story. It might not be anorexia or bulimia. It might be something else. Satan hates you. 
Here's what I know. We live in a world that is under that weight on a regular basis. They're trying to accomplish, to succeed, to feel, to experience, to have, to own, to taste, to touch. And what they really need is they need a savior who says, I love you, I made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's not one piece of you I made on accident. You are exactly who I crafted you in this world to be. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. He means it. This is why later Paul in the book of Romans chapter 10, he says this, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the whole idea of what Paul is trying to say is, look, there's a world outside of us that desperately needs to know the hope and the love of Jesus. But if we don't ever open our mouths and tell them, they'll never know. They'll never know. Man, what would it look like to have a church filled with people who say, Jesus, I'm going to join you. I'm going to speak Jesus over this world, over my family, over my friends, over my coworkers, over my neighbors. And might I just encourage you, why don't you aim for the one person that in your mind you think that's crazy, why would I go share it with that person? Because Jesus always pursues those who need him most. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna sing that song about speaking Jesus. I wanna encourage you to sing with us. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. But I need to make one last plea. So while we're singing this song, if you're hearing this and you need prayer or you're hearing this and you want to know more about Jesus, while the rest of us are singing, I just want you to sneak out and come down front to my right or my left over here. There's tables there. And just go to our connect team and say, I need Jesus. And they'll lead you from there. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, would you meet us in this place? God, I pray you would stir in people's hearts right now, people who didn't know they were planning to make a decision today, but they're ready. They need Jesus. And life is dark and it's heavy and it's hard. And I pray that you would embolden them to get up out of their seat and go down front and get some help and receive Jesus today. God, the rest of us, may you just come and receive this worship and remind us again of just how loved and adored we are by you. God, I pray you protect Luke over this next week or two that as Satan comes calling for him because he shared a bold, stood up boldly and shared a story, I pray, God, that you would protect him from the enemy. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.